0: Welcome back to Texas Tea. This is the second episode that we've done the reimagining of the series. And this is the show that I bring on Texas business owners, entrepreneurs, and hustlers to come on the show and tell their story. And today's guest is a superhero in his own right. By day, he is an extremely successful operator of the most. Popular comic book store in all of Houston. And by night, he is also a villain on the felt playing poker. You may see him round in the local rooms. Today's guest I have on is Mr. Richard Evans, aka the Superman of Houston. <laughs> Thanks, Roger. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and by the way, I said Superman because his alter ego, Clark Kent, Looks extremely similar. Only difference, yeah, the put gla- the, put the glasses. Out. <laughs> 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 Thank you for taking that dad joke. By the way, sure, anytime. I'm I'm getting good at the dad jokes myself. Hey man, it's uh, I I feel like the older you get, the more proficient you are at dad jokes. It's like they became they become more grown worthy. Well they're We're just second nature. They just <laughs> pop out of you without you know, you can't even I, I can't control it. Yeah. You know? well, how many how many fart
1: jokes can you do? Oh, man, you do? I know, right? It just <laughs> it's, it's
0: constant. And uh and I had not mentioned it before, but Bedrock City Comics is your business that yep. started in 1990, yeah? Yes. Yeah, we started the first store in ninety nine, nineteen ninety. And now you have a strong six. Uh, I remember the one, obviously, in Webster, uh, personally, as well as right off of Washington. Uh, I don't want to, like, get you straight off into the story. I know uh, we kind of talked off camera, like, what the reasoning behind Bedrock City was. Uh, Mm -hmm. Obviously, the Flintstones. You said the story was extremely riveting. <laughs> I don't know riveting. I
1: you know, I you you start your own business and you go out to, you know, figure out what you're going to name yourself and you think about the fact that it's going to stick with you forever and uh um I had come up with another name that wasn't anything to even think about now, but um I went down to register that other name and it was already registered. And so I was just sleeping one night. I loved the Flintstones. I watched every episode of it and I just got to thinking if uh, if the city of Bedrock had a comic book store, what would it be called? And uh, you know, so Bedrock City—it just sounded good, and it wasn't like anything else here. You know, where there are other comic stores here back then: Third Planet, Roy's Memory Shop, and uh, other things like that. And it just sounded a little unique, and you know, so we we gave it a shot and yeah. uh, and ran with
0: it. It turned out pretty good, and it is rooted in that kind of otherworldly universe.
1: Well, sure, and it was you know. A, the Flintstones and comics and cartoons and pop culture and all of that stuff. I mean, uh, I, I've, I've always been drawn to the things that, uh, um, are kind of timeless as far as, as pop culture and things that, you know, real influential things like mad magazine and, you know, that kind of stuff. And so it's just, you know, uh, Spider-Man and Superman and all those guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the timeless factor, I I kind of want to ask a kind of a random question because uh we were talking before about the recent comic that you had the the, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man uh-huh. uh that sold at auction and how to create a new character or someone that sticks uh it's obviously something that has a very big impact on someone's childhood or their life um from a branding perspective, what do you feel like it takes to to make a hero, a hero or a villain stick? Well, you think back on all this stuff and you wonder if, you know, they
1: there have been so many characters created and so many things thrown at the wall. And who would think that Superman would have been the thing that would have, you know, transformed comics? Or who would think that the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles would be a successful concept? I mean, you pitch that and who's going to go, you know, but the Eastman and Laird created that and printed a comic 3000 and it, you know, they just put it out to their friends and stuff and it organically took off from there. I don't think that there's any way you can predict any of that stuff. I don't know. I don't know how you predict the success of something like the walking dead or Spider-Man or, you know, anything. It just, it's that unquantifiable spark that just, Gets people's imaginations going, and uh yeah i mean if we if we knew the answer to that, Roger, we'd all be super rich
0: I you know? know, I know unfortunately, not yet yeah. <laughs> <laughs> working on it working uh, at it. always working at it uh yeah, I think uh I think you're exactly right it's just it's, it's like a secret sauce, and from what I have seen, anything that like really captures imagination or someone like really runs with it seems to have come from something where Someone was just doing it out of love, right. or genuine, or well. You
1: know, you talk about it, you know the focus of this thing being entrepreneurial. I yeah. think a lot of the success for entrepreneurs in general are folks that aren't chasing the money; they're chasing mm-hmm. the love of whatever they do. If you really love what you do, the money comes in secondary, and yeah. whatever happens happens. And when I first opened my first you know first store, I. I wasn't expecting to get rich if i got my bills paid i was going to be happy my dad's my dad gave me fifteen thousand dollars to start it and he said you've always wanted to do this go open a store and do it and if it doesn't work out you go get a job you know i mean that was as simple as that um you know it it fortunately worked out great we were real lucky along the way with some things and we but but
0: you know at the end of the day
1: it was just i wanted to have a comic book store i loved the commerce of dealing in collectibles and comics and all that stuff and uh being surrounded by it all and being able to have a store and make that my job and not have to answer to anybody else was just a great thing yeah and there were some other things behind us opening i had been to one of the other comic stores here in town when i was you know a a few years earlier and had a horrible experience And, and the way i looked at it was there's no reason anybody should ever walk into a comic book store you know this escapist, imaginative, fun kind of thing, and nobody should ever walk in there and have a bad bad experience. You yeah. should never have a bad time in a comic book store. Yeah, and so uh that was a big spark
0: to going and opening one. I was going to school, you know, planning to go to law school, and completely uh, different, just situation. completely different things. So, yeah. so you started it then, and and I'll put a pin in what I'm going to ask because I think that's like super important what you said about it should always be fun. Mm-hmm. Like I think, um, like the same way why everything kind of like took off in terms of characters, right? It's, they're not thinking about marketing.
1: No, they're just, you know, the, the, when Siegel and Schuster created Superman, they were just trying to get this character in the newspapers. You know, the newspaper strips were the big deal. Comics barely existed and they yeah. were just trying to get him in the newspaper and it, they got to the point where well, let's it just get him published, and yeah. uh, and and ended up getting him published in this you know rinky-dink comic company called National Periodicals that yeah. became DC, and ended up making jillions of dollars off of <laughs> these two guys, you know, <laughs> creation, and they didn't really profit from it. So it's you know that that time and thing, but um, but yeah, I mean it was just all about getting getting the character published. Uh, n- you know not really with any expectations of anybody getting rich but
0: uh, yeah yeah um now i um and i'm gonna go way on another side tangent here because i know mm-hmm. you're a wealth of knowledge so so obviously um what was what was dc called before you just said it national periodical so national yeah. periodical went to dc and then atlas became marvel
1: well atlas started out as timely publications and the you know their their first comic was called marvel comics yeah but it was printed in 1939 and it was uh, published by Timely Publications. Oh, wow. And the publisher was a guy named Martin Goodman who was Stan Lee's uncle. Oh. And that's how Stan Lee got into comics. He yeah. went to work for his uncle. And they kinda, that publisher kinda hit it big when two guys came in and pitched Captain America to them and they published Captain America. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> and that became their you know flagship title through the yeah. war. Um, and then, after you know after world war 2 uh superheroes kind of became not a thing through mm-hmm. the late 40s and 50s i mean they were still publishing a lot of them but um marvel became this publisher that published monster comics and romance and mad knockoffs and anything they would just publish anything that was kind of selling hot wherever and yeah. they were kind of a second rate publisher and they were called Atlas through the 50s, and then they, again, same kind of thing. Let's just throw something at the wall and try Fantastic Four, and it kind of started selling. Let's try Spider-Man, and then Thor, and Hulk, and yeah. you know, the Avengers, and X-Men, and it all followed from, it and they just exploded. Yeah. And, uh, but in the years when they were first starting to do that, they were so low rent, that DC was actually distributing them and controlled them, oh, and wow. only would allow them to print eight titles a month.
0: Oh my god! So
1: you know it was, it was <laughs>
0: you know, they they ended so up it's turning it's been a the war tables. from the beginning. Yeah. Oh yeah. 300 absolutely. 300. Uh, I was gonna. Yeah, I was gonna ask those, those those name changes. In your view, was that a way to? have kind of a cooler name or was it just happenstance and they, then we just know it was names? a
1: way to get around postal codes so they wouldn't oh. have to spend money <laughs> that's, that's what it was oh they, man you know they were they were trying to do anything to cut corners and save money so yeah. um there were since com- a lot of comics were sold via subscription through the post office and there were things where you know magazines had to pay postal subscription fees to the post office to ship their stuff, and uh, uh, so if a new title started, you had to pay a fee up front, Mm. and so what they would do a lot of was, say a title was going along, and it was the first 20 issues had come out, and they're numbered one through 20, but by issue number 20, the sales are cruddy, then they would change the title and start it with issue 21, Rather than start it with issue number one and pay a new postal code. <laughs> and they would try and get around things that way. Oh, wow. And uh, they would also establish all these shell publishing companies for the same thing. And so Marvel, in the 50s, there were literally you know 60 or 70 different sub-publishing companies that they yeah. set up and published under to kind of hide fees and save money it was that's what it was
0: it was just a big old scam publishers are going to do publisher things exactly and
1: you know and there was a lot of mob stuff in comics really well because they were distributing all these things through the newsstands and they would send them out and they would be returnable and there was all kinds of grift and stuff going on between you know the newsstand selling stuff and the folks that handled the distributorship, which was a lot mob driven and Mm. how the publishers had to pay fees to get even books on the stands. There was all kinds of, you know, (laughs) chicanery, whatever. (laughs) But you know, it's like I said, it's amazing that these things are even out and exist because of all the stuff that even to get them onto the stands in the first place.
0: You know? And and that's kind of crazy, the number of roadblocks in the way for something new. Like if someone wanted to start a new comic, mm. hard comic, the amount of yeah. hurdles they have to go over is kind of crazy, right? Fortunately, now it's a lot easier because you can,
1: you know, you can you can print yourself almost. Yeah. And uh, there's actually a, a publisher here in town, a guy named Terry Moore, who's been publishing a comic. called. He's done a number of titles. He's real well known for a title called Strangers in Paradise. But okay. he's self-published and he... Oh prints it all up, you know, he hires a printer, he he and his wife ship and bill and account and do everything. Oh wow. And they're live in West U and doing real well. So uh, you know, it's uh it's uh it's possible.
0: It's yeah. possible. It now. is possible. It and wouldn't have been possible, you know, fifty years ago, but it's absolutely possible. Now. And on the marketing side, like uh you don't need to get advertisements out or anything like that. You could just go on your phone and start yeah. an account. You can start yeah, promoting yeah.
1: yourself. Look at all the bands that do
0: it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so. Exactly. I think that's where a lot of music seems to come from. I know we we were talking about before how I think bedrock should do a TikTok right. D- Dylan, right? <laughs> <laughs> we'll be talking with Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah, like, you know, uh musician musicians are on there and they're just uh they're putting out original stuff because they don't need to there's no barrier to entry anymore. not at all right. and there's you know plenty of ways to distribute stuff and get yeah.
1: it heard and exactly uh you know, all of
0: that but so. but when you started you were early 20s right I was 27 when i opened the store. okay i did my math wrong
1: <laughs> well no i've you know i'd been working in comic stores since i was i started working at a comic store here when i was 14. oh wow yeah, okay so, so wow. where uh what comic store was that there's one downtown called camelot it was camelot. Owned, it was run and owned and run by a a local lawyer here named Burl Rowe, who okay. was, uh, uh, he wrote all the water district law for the, the Harris oh, County wow. and uh, East Texas. But anyway, he, uh, he was a big comic collector. He was the, probably the biggest comic collector in the U.S. at that hmm. time in the early 70s. He was the first guy to pay $2,000 for a comic book. He, pay, he bought oh, a Detective wow. 27 for $2,000. That's the first Batman. And it made national news. And um, Uh, there's a famous collection that came out of uh, uh, Colorado called the Mile High Collection. It was a guy, you know, had saved every comic that came out between essentially 1935 and 1955. And uh, this collection was in a basement in Boulder, Colorado. And a guy with a little comic shop up there went out to go look and they you know they wanted to clear all these comics out of this house so that they could sell the house and he bought twenty thousand comics for two thousand dollars wow but he didn't have two thousand dollars so he borrowed it from burl and and uh burl went up there and helped him you know do all that and was able to buy some of the first comics out of there Uh. that collection now if it was all pieced together in one place would probably be worth fifty to a hundred million dollars i mean it was Whoa. ridiculous it has the nicest copy of a cent you know the nicest or in the in the running for the nicest copy of just about every key book through the beginnings of comics That's and so uh, but anyhow burl in in 78 opened a comic store downtown and uh uh he wasn't uh, a good retail businessman but Not it enough. was certainly fun yeah fun being a kid and working there and i For me, fortunately, through a weird family thing, Burl had gone to college with my mom's cousin and had heard that I collected comics and kind of took me under his wing. So I got to go work down there on weekends during school year and all summer. And through, you know, from the time I was 15 all the way through high school. Man, that was the greatest thing ever. That was the greatest thing ever. So everything that I initially did with my store was emulating trying to get something as cool as Camelot was right and uh
0: so uh so yeah
1: yeah that was a, that was kind of the beginning of it
0: so you your general career path had not really wavered not not a whole lot <laughs> not a whole lot I
1: mean when I went to college I went to UT and sold comics you yeah. know on the weekends at conventions to kind of help pay for school yeah um you know not that my my dad was in the oil business and uh, uh you know you talk about you know entrepreneurial texas tea stuff my dad worked for oscar wyatt and so you know we got to we got to you know have dinner with oscar and lynn sakowitz and stuff and see that that's that's entrepreneurial spirit right yeah there. yeah but anyway uh um you know my dad was really cool about all this stuff he said you know what you d- what you want to do and what i do isn't that much different it's just a it's just a different commodity yeah uh, so he was real supportive when I opened the store, and uh, uh, yeah, worked out all
0: right. Yeah, it's interesting you call it a commodity, because it's like, uh, when, it's, and when it comes to the non-super rare stuff, mm-hmm. you know, you can technically get it anywhere. Sure. So, um, well, I, I, I mean, I look at my business as kind of two different
1: things. Yeah. Um, we have six stores, and they're retail stores, mm-hmm. and we sell, you know, new product and apparel and new comics and toys and all the fun stuff yeah and that's the retail part of it yeah the part that i really love is the collecting and vintage thing and as a it's a component of our business but it's not the day-to-day stuff it's the it's kind of what i call it it's the wiener it's the thing that sets us apart it's the thing that <laughs> you know when you look at bedrock city well it's a great comic store but i can also go there and see a you know a superman one or a you know that kind of stuff on a on a you know whenever and and so and I, I love dealing in that kind of stuff Uh watching the auctions and seeing big books come along helping people that have you know really quality material here in town sell their stuff for the right price get the right amount and not get screwed by somebody mm-hmm. and you doing those kind of things and so that's that's the fun stuff to me the important stuff to yeah. me and like I was telling you we just sold a uh, an amazing fantasy fifteen, and it was for a customer of mine that you know I'd sold that book two years ago, but he had some stuff come up and needed to sell it, and yeah. we were able to find a buyer for him at a price that was way above what he would have gotten if he'd have gone to an auction house or anywhere yeah. else. And that's cool to me. I yeah. mean,
0: I I just I just dig that part of it. So, so it's uh so there's a lot of value in having essentially a, a trusted advisor on sure. your side to sell your prized possession uh if you're looking to sure
1: well and you know now we everybody sees in the news how volatile all this collectible stuff Mm -hmm. is you know sports cards are going crazy comics are going crazy art guitars cars and then we were talking nfts and crazy weird speculative investments and there's a lot of collectible kind of stuff out there and there's a lot of room for you know, if somebody, you know, sees all that money, there's chances to take advantage of people. Right. So you, you really wanna do your research if you have stuff and make sure that you're getting what you should be getting for what you got.
0: Uh in your in your view, in um two two things. Um one, I forgot almost forgot to ask, how do you go about finding let's say like for that most recent instance they mm-hmm. came to you and they're like, Hey, Richard, like I wanna I want to sell it. How do you even go about finding a potential buyer?
1: (laughs) That's a magic. uh, No, no. It's kind of, you, you just, (laughs) I know where they congregate. I know where they live. (laughs) You know, it's, like I'm saying you know we we went to that sports card show this past weekend and I I knew that there were guys that were looking for that kind of book there you know it's a it's a great thing to to sell into that and right yeah. now there is a lot of money in the sports card market yeah um, people are selling you know gold plated LeBron James cards for you know a million or two oh, you know there's just uh, there's just nutty stuff going on with that so there's a lot of there's a lot of Capital floating around in that, in that, and um, you know, to show up there with the coolest, shiniest comic book, people kind of came over and, yeah, like you know, and so it just worked out. I mean, uh, a lot of it is kind of luck, and a lot of it is fun, and a lot of it's knowing who to call and yeah. who to ask and, and where to lead somebody. So it's just being in it, so yeah.
0: And you, uh, I think there's like a key marketing aspect that, uh, just from an old school marketing perspective is where, where are the eyes? Yeah, so, sure. So because of your experience, you know where the eyes are. Yeah, so little, you just, yeah exactly. You just put it out in front of sometimes. I mean, right now
1: it's been interesting since COVID, you know, we were really concerned at the beginning of, uh, of the pandemic that, we were gonna be closed for a while. There weren't gonna be any comic book conventions. There weren't gonna be any gatherings of people. And yeah. uh, and that really was gonna cut into the collectible side of our business a lot. We thought, man, we're gonna get hammered on this stuff. And so I uh, took a lot of material and just consigned it to auctions just to have cash flow and mm. um, sat back and was hoping we could weather it. Well, as soon as we were able to kind of reopen a little bit, we started realizing that this kind of stuff entertainment collectible stuff was completely immune to the economies of COVID, because people were stuck at home they weren't traveling they weren't going to eat they weren't but they were still working and they were still making money and they had money accumulating and they wanted to be entertained and uh and so a retail business did really well just selling curbside and mail order and whatever but the collectible stuff just started kind of popping and and uh we um we started doing a facebook live sale every yeah. week and uh that's ha- still right it's still going on and uh yeah i mean it it's evolved through that i mean it was just a let's try and get some cash flow or do something to yeah. wow let's actually work on this and now it's a it's a it's a production not unlike your podcast. <laughs> no, it's. I mean, you know, we we put a lot of effort and design into it, and the graphics and all of that stuff. And we try to build the community. So we have you know about a thousand people that check in every day uh, on our Facebook Live site, and then we'll have you know 150 or 200 people viewing uh, each you know each weekend and yeah. uh, or each week. We do it Wednesdays from seven to nine and. Um, so anyhow, that became this thing we were selling, and so then it flipped over to the other side. It's not a problem selling stuff during COVID. The problem became acquiring merchandise oh, wow. because um, you know I, I have a lot of people that'll call me to sell collections or ship stuff to mm-hmm. me, but a lot of the things that we buy are people just walking in the stores, and uh, and there was not any of that. So uh, um, you know we were really hustling trying to find material to reload the live sale and reload yeah. the website and you know hoping for new shipments of new things too right. So now that's starting to kind of balance out but uh um but so there became yeah. an
0: excessive demand yeah exactly on, a ton of demand and list.
1: it's continued and it's yeah. it's neat that uh a lot of people that kind of because of the the fact that they're stuck at home kind of gravitated to this now we're focused on it and are yeah. continuing with it
0: so yeah. in the in in general um you were saying that you felt like it was just because of the people were at, at home so they had more time but still had the same stream of money sure. coming in uh, aside from that in general for collectibles uh what do you feel like is the reason aside from rarity what do you feel like the reason a collectible, because it's so volatile, a collectible can shoot up in price. Like, what's aside from like. Well, for comics in yeah. particular,
1: uh, uh, there are a lot of things that, that factor into it. But, uh, um, you know, first appearances of characters, uh, characters being used in storylines and other media mm-hmm. and getting exposure. I mean, the Black Panther is a prime example of that. He's always a kind of an important character in the Marvel universe of stuff. But. Never one of the biggest, biggest demand back issue characters, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like his first appearances in Fantastic Four fifty two, that book's always been popular, and and but it was never like, but once the Black Panther movie became yeah. a big deal and such a cultural touchstone yeah. for so many people, um, that book has just gone crazy yeah so uh, you know the the nicest you could in in 2000 you could have bought a, a cgc 96 for two or three thousand dollars and yeah. now that book that same book is probably going to be 50 or 60 thousand dollars wow. and that's you know that's a pretty good rate of that's return crazy. over 15 years or so whatever.
0: To, to so to find out so i'm sure there's collectors out there who are trying to buy based on what they think is going to go up trend wise mm-hmm uh speculate, s- speculate. Sure. <laughs> uh i mean how do you even how do you even look at what's out there and think about what could happen because who would have known that that movie would execute so well right i
1: you know it, it, as an advice thing i i always tell people to b- you know, buy what you like and the characters you like and buy what you're comfortable with and speculating is, is tough. It's yeah. just a tough thing because you don't really ever know. But yeah. if you're buying for condition and you're buying for rarity and you're buying for the, the, the characters as they are, pretty much anything in comics is going to have a, a, you know, a, a steady rate of return and if you hit a home run here or there that's kind of a side Got side you. deal but it's really hard to i mean again you know it you, we get kind of blindsided pretty often by something like um you know one division being coming popular and speculating that the character Mephisto is going to be in this deal. And so all of a sudden everybody starts buying silver surfer number three. (laughs) And then it turns out Mephisto isn't used in the, in the TV show. And then everybody's dumping them, you know, and you can, there's an endless thing with that, with rumors and stuff about, comic characters and where they're going to be used in media and which character is going to oh, appear wow. in the, you know, who's going to appear in the this Loki series that's coming out or who's going to be in the black widow movie or th- those kind of things. And if a, if a new character shows up in one of those, it can have a big effect on the current values of that character. That's crazy. And, and uh, it's, it's, it's this whole cottage industry of that stuff. And, you know, I, I, I have a lot of people that come in and chase all of that all the time, and it's interesting to watch it, but I don't give any advice right. it, it, you know investment kind of advice right. in relation to that because who knows Just, yeah you know, but I know that Superman's always going to be around I know right. that spider man's going to always be around the x men are always going to be popular, yeah. you know what i mean so that's the that's
0: the easiest route uh I know there's a so speaking of x men um there was always in WandaVision, bring those two together. Mm. I think there was like a lot of short term confusion of the fan base when that happened. What well, of the yeah. Yeah, yeah, of um 'cause of Wanda, obviously in the Silver Surfer tune that kinda like mesh up. Mm. Well, how come uh in in your view I know I know you mean Quicksilver by the way. What's that? You mean quicksilver? Oh so yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um uh and uh in your view, uh how, how come, aside from the obvious legal ramifications, uh, wh- why do you think there was such a separation of, of wh- why did they not try well, to capitalize on that crossover?
1: Because, well, and initially they, they couldn't because, uh, so in the movie stuff, Marvel has control, Marvel films, Marvel, you know, Marvel, whatever they're called, Marvel films, yeah. I guess. But uh, they had control of a certain group of characters, but the X-Men was with Fox. Right, Fantastic Four, I think, was with Paramount or some yeah. something. And even Spider-Man was separate. So gradually, Marvel, over the last four or five years, has re-acquired um, the rights to a lot of those mm-hmm. characters or done deals to separate stuff out. So part of, like, for instance, part of the deal with getting the rights to Spider-Man back was that... Sony was allowed to still have the rights to Venom. And so the Venom movie with Tom Hardy doesn't have Spider-Man in it, but they're able to do spinoffs of Venom. So they're Mm -hmm. doing this new Carnage movie. Mm -hmm. Well, Carnage is in the Spider-Man comics. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, people are really looking forward to that. And, you know, so but that's what a lot of it had to do with. So that's the reason you had two different Quicksilvers. You had the one that was in the Marvel MCU movies, and the yeah. Avengers, the one that was killed in, a, in the second Avengers movie, and then you had the Quicksilver that appeared in the X-Men stuff, mm-hmm. and that was one of the things that threw everybody, was that they actually used the Quicksilver from the X-Men franchise in WandaVision, which is an MCU, yeah. as a way to throw a throw a, a, a curveball at all the viewers, and it, it, it actually worked out great, because it created all so this crazy buzz. speculation about what was going on and then
0: obviously the yeah. mess speculation to Mephisto. Yeah. And so, then <laughs> and yeah, exactly. then the crash. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy how that is. It. It's crazy how that is. Yeah, duh. and by the way, Venom always one of my favorites. Uh I kind of like characters like that Punisher. I know mm-hmm. that he's been overplayed recently. Though did you watch that series? The most recent mm-hmm. series? Yeah, it was good. I the, really enjoyed net, the Netflix that. series. Yeah, yeah I really enjoyed good. that one. Um but uh but yeah, it's so my like jo- it's
1: my job, Roger. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's true you have actually
1: to. actually a couple of those i have i have i have not ever watched there's about two Wolver, two or three wolverine films that yeah. i've not watched oh. and i haven't watched luke cage or uh, um what was the other uh, was it iron fist okay one the, you're outing a, yourself yeah i haven't watched those yet, <laughs> i guess i need to. well there's up.
0: there's so much I mean, there is a lot and you're busy making uh, Bedrock a wonderful place for people to come. Hopefully. Uh, And uh, and I want to kind of I know we went on like a huge tangent. I want to kind of pull it uh, back to the beginning because you're talking about how you wanted to you want to make a story store very similar to Camelot. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you started off uh, with Bedrock and uh, I kind of wanted to kind of hear like you kind of did it like if it fails, it fails. I'm going to just give my best shot. But what were some of your initial, like, pieces that you put together of, like, what you wanted the vision to be?
1: Well, initially, when we first opened, I was really worried about just making, you know,
0: enough money to pay
1: the rent. (laughs) (laughs) So when I first started, we were a 50-50 card and comic book store. Yeah. So we sold a lot of sports cards and... Baseball cards and football cards, and this was 1990, right oh, in the middle man, of right in the heat, heat, heat of it. it. Yeah. But it was also in the middle of kind of the breakdown of the retail part of it. So my comic business started off really strong because that was also the beginning of kind of the there was a there was a speculator era of comics, mm-hmm. and uh, so there were a lot of people getting into new comics and buying them uh, to invest in for the future. There's just a lot of lot of ni- early 90s stuff selling. Image Comics started, and those were real popular. The Todd McFarlane Spider-Man stuff was probably, Death of Superman and that all the stuff that was around. I remember getting that. So we had a a lot of uh, big events going on with comics that brought a lot of customers into the store. So we kind of hit the ground running, and and we were uh, doing pretty well within six months. But the sports card stuff was bugging the heck out of me because... Um, the way retail sports cards are, all the collectors want the product that's really rare. So what it comes down to is a sports card guy comes in and he wants to buy the product that I can't get as a retailer. And it gets frustrating. Mm. I, I couldn't get the things that everybody wanted and I could get boatloads of the things that people didn't want and it would sit. And so in kind of a weird happenstance thing i gone out to the bay area to go to a comic convention and there was a guy out there that had a comic store called comic relief his name was rory root and his rory's claim to fame is he's the guy that the comic shop guy in the simpsons is based on but rory was a sweetheart just a sweet guy and uh so I went to his uh, that's shop. That's going to be a bad. <laughs> like, imagine <being laughs> that's it's, you. <laughs> it's, 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 it's real true, too. Yeah. So funny. anyway, um, I went into Rory's shop, and he had everything, everything related to comics. He had uh, graphic novels, foreign comics, um, uh, tattoo magazines with art, art and, you know, that kind of stuff, art books related to fantasy art. Everything in there was related to graphic comics. Okay. And none of the other kind of BS that surrounded it. You know, it was a comic book store, but highbrow. It was the coolest thing. And it just opened my eyes to what I could do with the store. And so when I got back, I took all of the sports cards out of the shop. Took him to one of the other shops here and just said, we, whatever you want to give me for them, I'm done. Oh, wow. and, and we got rid of them. And uh, that was in early 92. And uh, at the same time, we opened a second store. That's when we opened our North store. At that time, mm-hmm. it was on 1960 in Kirkendall. And uh, when I cleared out all that space and filled it up with other comic-related stuff, that's really kind of when the store started taking off. Unfortunately, in the bigger picture comic books, new comics, the speculator market bubble kind of Mm -hmm. burst. So we had been catering to readers instead of the speculators. We didn't lose a lot of customers during that market bubble, but we lost a lot of competitors. When, you know, in 92, 93, at my store here at Westheimer and Hillcroft, at that time there were five stores within a two mile radius of us. And oh. all of those stores closed between 93 and 97. And they were and still doing They were cards. still doing sports cards, but they were also buying comics bulk and selling them to people that want. Like mm. I would, we would constantly at that time have somebody come in and say, I think Spawn's going to be hot. Let me buy a thousand copies of it. And stores would cater to that and they'd sell them a thousand copies for maybe 20% over their cost. And I would say, you know, I, I, I'm not a distributor. I can't do that. You can go to these guys and do it. I, I just sell retail. Yeah. Uh, but when the speculator bubble busted, we weren't stuck with all that product, because there were a lot of the publishers were shipping stuff late. So mm. a guy would order in January 2,000 uh, copies of a comic, and by the time it finally released in June, that guy's done. He's not buying anymore. But we're ordering our stuff non-returnable, so the stores would get stuck with it. They'd be stuck with two thousand copies of a book that, at that point, is unsellable. Got you. And uh, there were stories like that. There was a guy here in town that bought ten thousand copies of Adventures of Superman five hundred, expecting it to be as hot as the Death of Superman issue mm. was. And you know, they all those books ended up in a storage unit out in Clear Lake. Oh, you know, man. I mean, um, so by '97. The The field had thinned out here, and um, we were doing pretty well. The old The old stores were all still around, Third Planet and Nans and, you know, the, the shops that had been here for a long time, all the new shops that had popped up, all the sports card shops that had popped up that were carrying comics, they all kind of went away, and things kind of solidified. And then from that point, I mean, we just started cruising. Uh, you know, uh, we opened our... Third store in 2000 in Clear Lake, and um, then we uh, uh, opened in Sugarland in Washington, both around 2010. Mm-hmm. We moved the Westheimer store into the big new location mm-hmm. in 2013, and we just opened in Katy, and it just keeps you know kind of rocking yeah. along. So yeah. uh, um, you got store yeah. number seven on the horizon. We're trying to we're trying to get some systems in place. I want to open one in Austin. Oh, I really want to open one in spot. Austin. So you know, uh, absolutely. Hopefully. 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 Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So well,
0: that's, that's quite a journey. And um, mm-hmm. and you're talking about, uh, so, so there was a key takeaway I like took from that because you're, we were talking about, about doing what you love, doing what's genuine. Mm-hmm. You did not sell yourself out to the quick money. You know, I, sometimes I look back on
1: things and maybe there's a tinge of regret. <laughs> we got, we got <laughs> contacted by Ty before anybody in Houston had beanie babies. What? And uh, we went, well, these are kind of neat, but what do they have to do with comics? <laughs> you know? So I, I, I didn't carry beanie babies. Now they're doing licensed Thai stuff now, and we have an account with Thai now, yeah. but all of a sudden Thai just exploded. And yeah. I could have made so much money if I had opened that account. Yeah. But, you know, I think I'm yeah. happy where I'm at, and I, I didn't, right, you, you know? Gonna- and, uh, you can't take a W exactly. every time, right? Exactly. I think but we both know that. Sure, <laughs> sure. But you know, you look you look at little things. I I I was this close to buying a whole bunch of eBay stock early on because it was a big thing. Yeah. You know, eBay for us was a big thing in, you know, you know, the late nineties, mid nineties. Mm-hmm. So many things were selling and it was defining a lot of things that were going on yeah. in our hobby. And uh but I didn't do that either.
0: Yeah. yeah. But uh, but what uh, you did do is kick out the tri- uh, the the kicked out the sports, the sports cards, cards and, and you
1: the, did, didn't do wholesale and that we, probably we replaced it with t-shirts and toys and all the things that are related to comics that yeah, we knew yeah, that yeah. we could do. So, um, yeah, worked out. I, know, I think
0: net positive. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely a winning session. The the stores to me look a lot better. Yeah without having all the sports card stuff in there yeah i i I still kind of collect sports cards and i and i'm always in touch with that market and but uh from a retail standpoint and from an aesthetic standpoint Mm -hmm. we always wanted there to be a certain flow to the stores when you walk in to make it kind of an escape Mm so you you walk in and the the stuff in there is also bright and colorful and whatnot and the cardboard squares of baseball cards and all the boxes of packs—they always just broke it up to yeah. me. It was just a different aesthetic. It's just always so, shiny, yeah, shiny. Exactly. yeah, yeah so, exactly. Especially now, I know, you know it's just worse. all
0: foil and
1: felt and stuff.
0: Goofy. So. Uh-huh. Uh, that is cool that you had that. That aesthetic is super cool. Um, I know um, it's always been welcoming when I've come in and and this is actually the question I was going to ask before, but perfect leading. Thank you. I was going to say while you're I'm open- here for you. <laughs> oh, thank you for sure. <laughs> uh, when you're opening all the other locations, right? Uh-huh. So you had this, this vision on the first one and you executed perfectly. Uh, how did you, how, how do you scale a feeling like that? that it's, it's
1: hard. You know, you kind of, some of it is dictated by the things that are selling for you. So like, we've had some changes cuz we've had to change the floor plan of the store to accommodate things like funko pops now they're yep. a huge thing are you familiar with those the little funko. plastic uh, bobblehead bo- oh, the yeah, licensed yeah. little bobblehead yeah, things yeah. so we sell a boatload of those and uh um literally we load boats <laughs> <laughs> at the dock uh, we, but and and the way that you have to rack those dictates a certain thing. And you've got to dedicate a certain amount of square feet in each store to mm-hmm. that. And so things like that will change. And over the years, we've our apparel sales have gone up a lot. We sell a ton of T-shirts and uh, licensed comic-related and pop culture-related T-shirts. And so you have to do that. But... In the grand scheme of it, you have a box and you know about how many square feet you're going to need and mm. you just lay it out in a pattern that uh, you can do your signage and your fixturing and everything to accommodate the products that you're putting in and you direct people around the shop mm. so they see everything and uh, and that's that's it in a nutshell it gets a little harder and we you know we're like the Washington store is a little confined by space. Mm. It's the smallest of our stores, so yeah. it's really
0: packed, but the location Which is, is so a, good. to say a lot, by the way.
1: Well, it's, 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 I, I love the area that it's in. Yeah. It's the only shop that we have inside the loop. And there's a funny thing with Houston, you know, where people that live inside the loop don't want to go outside of it. They and, don't. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that store does real well, and we get a, a lot of critical. Appreciation for that store from the press because it's close to the Chronicle and the Houston Press or in Mm -hmm. some of the online places. So that's where they go when they're doing stuff. And um, so, but uh, you know, when you start getting out, you can get more space. Oh yeah, you know, and you can you can do different things. So the Westheimer thing, our our store there is like eighty five hundred square feet, and we were able to do some different stuff with that store. We've got you know a showroom for the vintage stuff Mm. and. We have a studio where we do the live stream, and yeah. uh, we have our offices. And yeah. Uh, yeah, sometime when you're over there, I'll have to show oh, you some yeah. of the cool stuff in my oh, office. Oh yeah, so, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, that's where all the fun
0: I'm I've literally already been amping myself because I kind of on a random aside, I bought a bunch of magic cards like mm-hmm. 2019. I just went on a binge. It was right. bad. And I started playing. And I Isn't like, it
1: amazing how many poker players play magic? It is. Well, it's a strategy, right? Yeah, it's I a know. strategy yeah. game, and
0: you got to really think. You you think through the pregame, mm-hmm. and obviously through the game as well. Sure. So, uh, uh, but I gave a lot of the cards away because I realized I was like sinking a lot of time into it. But I was like, see, you know,
1: I don't make a lot of money at the poker table, but I make a lot of money selling magic cards to the <laughs> poker players. That's that's my deal. No, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I feel like the margin on Magic Cards isn't that good, though. It's really not. It's pretty thin, but, okay, uh, okay.
1: but it's still, it's so addicting and fun. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And that's why I was like, as you're... And this is why I think it's so cool to have, like, such a product or groupings of products that you do that, like, sh- me just talking about it is hyping me up to go to your store. <laughs> well, you know, that's,
1: again, it goes back to the whole reason that I'm in this. I, When I was a kid, you know... I, there's a genetic thing with people and some people get this and some mm. people don't. But when I was a kid, I, I thought about comic books 24 seven. I mean, I was pretty good in class and I, you know, I was, I, you know, I, I did good, and, you know, I had good grades and stuff. Yeah. But if I gave a 10th of the effort and time that I spent learning comics and knowing what was going on with that when I was, 12, 13 years old that I would have, you know, school, I, I would, you know, I don't know, be a road scholar. I don't know. I thought about comics all the time. I had, you know, the comic book buyer's guide coming in every Thursday and it was, I'd race home and read that all the ads from people selling comics around the country and, you know, calling people. And (laughs) I I was, you know, it was that it was the bomb. That was the, the deal. And I love every day some kid comes in the store who has that same experience with stuff now or or an adult that's you know always kind of had it but never had anybody to nurture it and now they're on their own time and they come in and it, you know all the the blinders are off and they're go, they go crazy because they just love it it's this stuff is it's in our, you know in your blood it, and it's addicting it, it yeah. really is and so whether it's magic or The Marvel movies, or you know, uh, shoot, uh, Nintendo, or WWE, or whatever it is, all of that stuff is pop culture, fun stuff that just is part of our DNA. Yeah, you know, yeah,
0: the addiction is real. Yeah, I remember just buying boxes to get four of one specific that I needed for a specific deck. I don't know why. I know I can buy a singles online, right? But it's, but there's something about opening those packs. Exactly, it's, it's gambling. Exactly, it's like you know, you know, it's like playing the lottery tickets exactly. every time. Yeah, Am I going to get that? You know, the, exactly. that chase card it's in there. That part's so so fun, and then that it's like every step is really fun. But like regardless of what you, it is like you're saying it's every every part, whatever you are fixated on, you kind of give that, and yeah. it's and it's a it's basically a, a, a wholesome feeling because it's something that you can kind of attach yourself to in the nostalgia way. You know, that's, you know, not negative. It's, you know, most of the things until that, you're spending your meal money. on That's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. I'll take that back. Slightly. We've actually,
1: uh, I, I, it does not real often, but there've been a couple of times where I've kind of had to take somebody aside and talk to them and I, you know, you may want to kind of slow down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, man. I you you
0: got to be running your credit card debt up like crazy. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah Okay. So, you
0: know. But that hey, that's <laughs> important. It's actually funny because I I did. Um, I remember someone uh, said that to me too. One of my buddies was like, "Hey man, like, you're gonna burn yourself out." Because mm-hmm. I was like, get, I got I got into it real quick, real fast. Because the last time I really played it seriously was back in the late '90s. Right. And so then all of a sudden I'm like, Do you still have your cards
1: from the '90s?
0: Because uh, you know some of that some of that early magic stuff is yeah.
1: huge
0: money. I uh, Raymond Grabowski, if you're listening, I think you still have them. Oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> my buddy Ray in Connecticut. I know I had he had the box. Uh, he can't hear you over the jingling of all the jewelry. <laughs> yeah, I, I came in. I remember because that was late '90s. So I came in. Um, it was I think. Uh, it was either mirage or stronghold that was right 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 Right. when it was um so four or five years in yeah yeah four years yeah so i didn't have like a lot of like i definitely didn't have any alpha beta cards right um so i don't think i have a lot of like and i remember they sent us uh
1: uh you know a beta box yeah to get us to and we kind of set it aside for a short amount of time and then you know unlimiteds came out we started selling that stuff and I mean, I can remember all of those sets coming in early on, and us kind of, this is interesting, but you know, we just try it, and it, the whole idea of game cards played like that, it was it was new, mm. and uh, uh, you know, I I think of that box sitting on the counter, those you know that first box, and I, I think a sealed uh, a sealed beta box is probably a seven figure item now. It's crazy.
0: But maybe right? more, you know. Yes. It's just yeah, Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. You know imagine? Yeah, I can't even imagine cuz I've never I've never myself held a beta card. Really? Yeah, yeah, cuz I was no. it was too expensive for me back right. then to even collect that. Um, you know it's cra- one la- one last thing about like things that I had back in the past, uh Jurassic Park mm-hmm. had a set. Yeah. I have that full set. You you, you kept the Jurassic Park set. That's kept. <laughs> That's what
1: I'm talking about,
0: <laughs> dude. That was my. I watched that movie probably 13, 14 times as a kid. The dinosaurs are real. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. How <Are> they real. <laughs> I, I loved have, that movie too. Yeah, I uh, actually, uh, I was sent. Uh, I found the clip where uh, Dr. Malcolm is like, "Son of a bitch, you did it. <laughs> he really did it."
1: <laughs> um, my
0: o- my only thing with that movie is I. Something
1: about Jeff Goldblum makes my skin crawl really? a little bit. Yeah, uh, and I loved him in The Fly. He was like yeah. perfect in that. But like, he, there's
0: just something about him that just, just, I. It's just hard for me. For me, it was the he was like a physicist rock star and mm-hmm. i was like come mm-hmm. on <laughs> i've been mm-hmm. around a lot of scientific minded people It's never like that well he,
1: <laughs> you know the whole ego egotist scientist yeah he's got you know i always get the feel that you know jeff could be the egotist actor too yeah so it's, it's I, see the, what, I see he's playing himself he's kind of had yeah yeah he has uh-huh. the same kind of persona uh-huh.
0: but uh But uh, to kind of go back to what you were saying or what I had asked you before, uh, I want to make one last comment about that because I feel like the main thing is you, each store is gonna be different. You took each space and made it so that you kind of, and and correct me if I'm wrong, created a kind of like a wonderland to start and stop at. Mm -hmm. You kind of direct, customer try to yeah Yeah. exactly and that's what kind of and they
1: you know they're each each space is different but there's some unifying things with them you know through through signage and color and and whatnot we do essentially the same type of architecture in each store and uh the same type of fixtures they Mm -hmm. may be in different spots and the same kind of signage so you know you're in a bedrock store Mm. just like you, you know, you kind of can go in, in any retail there's, you know, you know, when you're in a bed, bath and beyond, there's the same layout and the same, you know, and that's, that's just the branding of retail, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, uh, uh, it took us a little while to discover some of those things or work it all out. But, you know, a lot of it came down to just working out the logo, you know, and the logo is, I think our logo is pretty eye catching now. Oh Yeah. Yeah. uh you know it uh you know I'll have people I, you know, when I drive my van it's got the you know the logo on the side of yeah. it and people It was a different logo it. before, right? Well, it's it's evolved over the okay. years. We've had that you know that kind of psychedelic yellow and purple yeah. logo yeah. now for over a little over 20 years yeah, the and it's is it's what I streamlined and it, we've we've tweaked it a number of times but uh the general color scheme and feel of it is the same but now it's like yeah you know it it would look good on a poker table
0: i I was (laughs) i was just gonna ask that because like i wanted i wanted because i know we talked about a little bit there before i wanted Mm -hmm. you to kind of explain how that idea come about at prime social and like what made you just i mean i kind of know why you jumped on it but well so here here's the deal it's a you know
1: i i play over there all the time it's the closest thing to the store and I'm over there two or three times a week. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously with COVID there was a time when but but I'm back over there all the time and I, I know all the dealers and uh you know, know all the principals over there and they're all wonderful and the place is great. And they've treated me good. Yeah. Um they were talking about doing the tournament that they did. They did that million dollar summer tournament that just just ended. And yeah. I <laughs> just had you know my brain works the way you know marketing and retail does i was thinking how can i get my name on the felt i want my i want the store logo on the felt on at one of these things and And so in the go real
0: quick did did you think that was important because of how big the kind of rfd live action was or like what i I knew that they were going to be live streaming stuff and so but
1: no, I just did it cuz I'm a nerd. I just <laughs> I just wanted it on there. There was a, there was no grand plan. I didn't have any vision that it was going to be something. And and the way the table was laid out, I was expecting just to get it on the side of the table. I just yeah. wanted it to be on there. Yeah. Just you know for ego or whatever. <laughs> right on the flop. <laughs> so anyhow, so th- through discussions with uh with Justin Hammer, the tournament director, who's wonderful. Uh, we came up with a plan they wanted for the tournament to do a heads up turn you know one heads up tournament in there but because of the way heads up tournaments are with one dealer for every two players it wasn't kind of it's not economically viable to do Mm -hmm. it or it's real tough to make it work it's a money losing venture and so i said well then i'll just pay the cost of that to make that work and and we can do it and he goes done perfect so i'm that's that was the extent of it we worked a price out and we did it but i was not expecting the placement of the logo to be right in the box yeah they put it right in the box in front of the dealer that's
0: so between
1: the two prime logos so that in the live stream in every shot everything that went to showdown our logo was yeah. you know, fills the screen up i mean it was awesome yeah. and it worked out great we started getting calls and different stuff That's and awesome. a lot of the players started coming over to the store and and doing stuff so i went back and said you know you know justin this this is great this is just wonderful for me and i just want to make sure all this the anything that i put in is going to the dealer so i just doubled it up so yeah. you know i it it, it worked it worked so good. They were great, and we yeah. got a lot of response to it. And it was just a little bit of outside of the box marketing that worked. Yeah. Sometimes that stuff doesn't, but sometimes it really does. And uh, and that was one case where it does. I can't wait to hear. Uh, Can I tell you one play one that really, really worked? Yes. This is my favorite. <laughs> my favorite thing that ever happened. Yes, please do. At the beginning of COVID. Okay. Uh, when we finally reopened that was, this was in May, in early June, we had, we had done a mandatory mask thing, mm-hmm. and this was right, we're starting to reopen and stuff's going on, and at the 1960 store, well, at all of our stores, if you came in, we required a mask, but we would give you one. Mm. And a lot of stores did that, it's kind yeah. of a natural thing. Uh. You know, so we had, a, we had a customer come into the 1960 store, and my employee, Tony, said, you know, sir, you need a mask. And the guy said, I don't have a mask. And so Tony gave him one, and the guy put it in his pocket. And Tony said, uh, I, you need to wear it. And the guy pulled it out, threw it at him, and walked out the door. Well, we had it all on the security camera. And it's just perfect, all in frame, this little thing. So we posted it on our Facebook page, but not in a mean way. We just said... We had a customer come in and drop his mask. We would like to give it back if anybody knows who it is. <laughs> just kind of for fun, you know. Well, it ended up going kind of viral and it became the number 1 thing on Reddit in Houston for like a week. Oh, wow. They ran that video a- every day. I started getting mail order orders from people in Utah and, you know, Maine and stuff going, "We just want to support you because oh, of wow. your-, your mask policy." The way you- and and it turns out the guy was in one of the local toy groups and everybody oh. got him and spotted him. And so he kind of got some grief for it. Yeah. And we were able to kind of make it be the good guy in it and say, look, we, we weren't trying to out you, but this is our policy and this uh. is what, and you guys just need to, we respect your right not to wear a mask. I understand that people don't want to wear a mask and I respect but respect my right as a retailer to require yeah. them. And uh, Man, so you handled that perfectly. It, it end ended up working out really, really well. And it was a piece of unforeseen marketing that worked out positively. Yeah. And that stuff has always been interesting to me. It's yeah. always been interesting to me, the things that are outside of your control On the opposite, yeah. on the opposite side of that would be something like the guy in Alvin who had the plumbing company who sold his plumbing truck and it ended up being used by ISIS with a rocket launcher in the back of it with his phone number on the side. Oh, God. And he has to deal with that negative press too. Yeah. That kind of stuff is just really interesting to me because you are always, you don't think about it when you have a business, but you're always exposed. You're you're yeah. out there and you have to really be aware oh, no. in this day and age of everything that you do. every yeah. Everything that you every way that your business is represented yeah because it all reflects back on it
0: oh yeah we uh actually for eastwood we try to regardless of if a broker is there or not whatever happens with whatever contract regardless of what was done or what we didn't see it was done we take responsibility for absolutely everything for the sheer fact that you have yeah you have to you have two <laughs> Man, time flies. Yeah, time flies. Well, Richard, man, uh, I know there's some other things I want to talk to you about, but we can maybe have a second uh, uh, I'd
1: love to come back anytime, yeah. Roger. This is a pleasure.
0: No, this was, it was a lot of fun. And, and uh, just to really shout out real quick, if you want to go to Bedrock uh, in person, I would say uh, they're right next to Brothers Bakery in mm-hmm. the loop. So uh, uh, grab was- yourself something delicious and, and stop over. Uh, if you want to find them on social Bedrock City is both Instagram and Facebook. Uh, sorry, Bedrock City. BedrockCity.com and Bedrock City for Twitter. And then Bedrock City Comics for both Facebook and Instagram. And then Bedrock City Broadcasting. That's on YouTube. Uh, so you can find them there. As always, uh, tune in to Texas T. And any questions for Richard, put them down in the comments below. He would love to answer them. Yep. And uh, we'll see you on the next one. And thanks for coming on, Richard my pleasure thank (laughs) you guys it was a lot of fun thanks